egotistical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that's right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Patron Feedback Show for the Lizzo episode of Saturday Night Live. We are coming to you on a special day and time, Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. It's a little bit late, so uh, if you are around and stand up late and joining us in the chat, always appreciate getting to talk to everybody on the Patron Feedback Show. And uh, of course, we are joined by two wonderful patrons. You have heard them before on several of our shows, and they are back once again. First up, as uh, Dean edwards like to say it's thomas senna do 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 thank you Dean Edwards, so much i'm doing well and uh just as a little teaser just got back from new york city uh late last night and kind of um, need a vacation from our vacation sort of thing but i'm doing well over here in new mexico Yes, for sure. I cannot wait to hear all about your experience going to the show. Thomas has been a fan of Saturday Night Live forever. So the fact that you got to go to the show, mm. so, so happy for you, man. I uh, can't you. wait to hear all about it. But uh, let's let's introduce the other patron that we have here with us. And uh, last but not least, uh, this is a guy who I always enjoy getting to talk to. He's in the chat for every single one of our shows and just a, such an active part of our community. It is the great Casey Killingsworth. Casey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me uh, back on the show for the third Patriot Feedback show, pulling off the hat trick here. And um, great to talk to Thomas Cena. And um, I'm, I'm excited. So uh, let's just go ahead and get right into it. Yes, 100%. Uh, and Casey, like eventually we're going to have to get your your patron feedback five timers hat. So it's only the third, <laughs> but it'll happen eventually, Casey. Um, I, I so. could be the first one. Yes, for sure. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun to break down everything from the Lizzo episode. If it's your first time joining us on the Patron Feedback Show for week number 18, hey, check out all the Patron Feedback shows we did. They were great. And the best part about these shows is it's the end of the week, so it's super casual. We can go through all the questions and you know be real with the listeners about our real thoughts about all the episodes. Not that we're not on the hot fake shows at the roundtables, but you know what I mean. Um, and also, we will take a look forward to our three shows in May. I'll, obviously, right now, we only know about benedict cumberbatch and arcade fire so we'll look forward to that as well but uh thomas starting with you it's been a while since we've had you on the patron feedback show how have you been enjoying the season um i think it's it's on an uptick right now um the, actually the Hall episode and the jared carmichael episode left a little to be desired for me um but this lizzo episode um i think is it uh, makes it seem like the the um, the show's headed toward like a nice finish. Um, I know I have to, I didn't really talk to you about this, but we're both big Will Forte fans and I was bummed out by that episode, uh, quite honestly. So, so I was kind of worried about what we were going to get after the Will Forte episode. Um, but, uh, but I think we've had a lot of, a lot of fun episodes. Um, I could, I could tell, I think this year I've really felt more, um, I guess I've been more responsive to the whole overall vibes of the episode. I'm less focused on, I guess, writing, even though a lot of the writing has been good. A lot of what's hitting me is either weird vibes from the episode or fun vibes from the episode. And that certainly pertains to this week. Um, but I think it's a good season. Love the cast. I, and and I'm, I, I'm optimistic as we stand right now. For sure. Casey, uh, we checked in with you like right at the beginning of the season. I think it was the Sudeikis episode. And then obviously we got you at the midpoint as well. But now as we're headed towards the end of the season, how are you feeling overall about 47? I'm feeling a little bit better. I have to say the last time I did uh, patron feedback was uh, 
right before Mo Laney got to join the Five Timers Club. And that and Oscar Isaac, I think, were the peak of um, the second half of season 47. Um, the uh, Zoe Kravitz, Gerard Carmichael, Jake Gyllenhaal is a little rocky for me, but I think Lizzo got us back on an even keel. I mean, I expected her to put the show, put a lot of the show over just with her, her energy and her uh, go big or go home attitude and um uh, i mean gerard carmichael i i like him but i mean he has a better stage presence um he has a better stage presence as a stand-up and as a, a sketch actor and uh jill and all uh yeah he's a solid actor he was a dependable host like uh you thought he'd be but his episode was a little uneven in that uh all the better stuff was either right at the top that he didn't have much to do with or right at the end where he pitched in, pulled his weight. Um, honestly, my, um, excuse my, uh, my best memory that I associate with the Jake Gyllenhaal episode would be, um, the, the day that, um, this whole April lineup was announced on Twitter because, um, you did the, by the numbers show with Nicole Rovine and, um, Mike, uh, Mike Murray. Yeah. You did the, yeah, you did the, by the numbers thing with Nicole and we were kind of taken aback how, um, you know, six months after Taylor Swift sang a, a song that painted that we thought painted him in a horrible light. If it wasn't really him six months later, Lauren had no problem booking him as host with a uh, musical guest who's a girl supposed to be, one of her best friends in the business. And, um, and then uh, someone pointed out that uh, Taylor sang about him on November 13th, 13 is her special number. And then Jill and Hall uh, was on, on four, nine, four plus nine is 13. And uh, that, and then the Crazy. patron. Yeah. And then the patron feedback show for that one was on the 13th this past Wednesday. So um, I had a little, uh, planned Easter egg for this one myself. I, I kind of want to keep the uh, the Taylor Swift thirteen connection uh, train rolling here. Um, okay, you, What's you your probably YouTube algorithm like Casey. That sounds pretty. <laughs> that sounds yes. pretty intense. You, you probably can't see this because of my cryon, but I'm wearing a Weird Al oh, yeah. shirt. Not not just any Weird Al shirt, but one from the Alpocalypse tour. Okay. And, um, and Alpocalypse just happens to be his 13th album. And it came out in June 2011, which you'd probably be able weird, to tell. A weird album. Yeah, so you'd probably able to be able to tell this came out in June 2011 because the songs on it, Perform This Way, Polka Face, Party in the CIA, <laughs> whatever you like. But you're enjoying the season, Casey? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm getting somewhere with this. So, so, some of the internet leaks, CNR, Skipper Dan, uh, Craigslist. Okay. But... But the point is, one of the one of the deeper cuts on this one of the deeper cut parodies on this Weird Al album is track three, a song called song called TMZ, um, okay, which is which is his parody of "You Belong with Me" by Taylor Swift. So, yeah, I discovered another Taylor Swift thirteen connection. I thought you and Nicole would appreciate the one <laughs> I, and only time. The one and only time so far that Weird Al parodied Taylor Swift in his career has been on his 13th album. So, 
Okay. Your minds are blown, right? Got it. Okay. Uh, thank you. That's I'll, the I'll, I'll, I associate with this. Yeah. I love the props. I love. I love that. Okay, Thomas. Um, let me go over to you now because uh, you mentioned briefly that you actually attended the show this week. So I would love to know how your experience was watching the Lizzo episode, being in the building, compared to how it may have felt watching it at home. Like, do you feel that you got more out of it because of that? Uh, yeah. So I went to dress rehearsal. Um, I didn't go to the live show. My wife and I went to. Uh, dress rehearsal and it was really interesting uh, we had managed to make it back to our hotel um, grabbed had to grab slices of pizza in new york made it back to our hotel in time for the live show and just the comparison between dress and live uh, was really fascinating there were sketches that were rearranged um, i was worried that they weren't going to air the please don't destroy sketch on the live show because it came um, right before it came like right at the top of dress uh, pretty much uh, right before the black eyed piece sketch um, in dress. So I was sitting there watching the live show going, Oh no, did they cut? Please don't destroy. That was, that was a great uh, pre-tape right there. Um, but they just did a little bit of rearranging. Um, it was really great. Actually uh, when the please don't destroy sketch was, was playing inside the studio during dress. I had a really good view of Lizzo um, as she was getting ready for the uh, Black Eyed Peas sketch. And I could see her watching herself in the Please Don't Destroy sketch. And, and I'm cool. assuming that was the first time that she had seen it. And she was just getting such a kick out of it. She was sitting there kind of nodding and laughing. So to see Lizzo's reaction to that sketch in person, that's one of those little nuggets uh, from dress rehearsal that was just uh, so great. Um, I'm super happy. Um, we probably might get to this, but they cut, um, we've talked about this. They cut, um, baby Yoda and baby group from weekend update. Um, so, so that was interesting. I know a lot of people are wondering what Lizzo looked like as baby grew and it was, uh, interesting to see. Um, but you just, you know, just, just getting a whole different perspective, seeing dress versus seeing live. That was, that was one reason that my wife and I picked dress rehearsal versus the live show. Um, was to get more sketches to be able to make that comparison. Um, people asked us if we were disappointed that we didn't get into the live show, and I was like, "Well, that was our choice. We chose dress mm -hmm. rehearsal for that reason." So it was just really fascinating to see the differences and to see what was cut and rearranged, uh, and everything was such a valuable experience. Yeah, for sure, and and I get that, and I think that if you want the full like two hours seeing the extra sketches, I definitely think dress rehearsal is the call, and obviously there's you know there's benefits to each of them, so um, really wonderful, and I'm sure Thomas throughout the night while we are going through this podcast and answering your questions, I'm sure there'll be little tidbits that you noticed uh, that you can fill us in on. Um, so Casey, before we start getting into the social media, I would love to know just overall thoughts on the Lizzo episode, uh, and I know I did uh, I did read your blog, so I read uh, your thoughts in general, but please tell our listeners uh overall how did you feel about the lizzo episode i felt it was um yeah it, it was great a great way to end this uh run episode she really yes she, she's one of those hosts where you can just tell visibly you guys see in their performance having them having them around um just raised everybody's morale and just kept everybody going. They were trying to write something funny. And if that results in a little bit of breaking, so be it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I can, I kind of see why it'd be divisive, but I don't totally get it. I mean, you're, I mean, you're 
your mileage may vary with your own tolerance of just random 2000s nostalgia. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was the, um, yeah, I thought it was the, I thought it was the least uneven show of uh, April. So yeah, she was a shot in the arm that we needed. Yeah, and I think that this week completely solidified for me that random 2000s nostalgia is my brand. Like that's what I I, I live for that stuff. So that that worked for me. Um, but uh, I do want to answer this question. And like we said, this is an interactive show, so I do want to answer this question from Nick in the chat uh, to you, Thomas, specifically. Um, he was asking about Aristotle Atari's impression of Doctor Oz, and you may be wondering if you're a listener, okay, where did that come in? That was actually supposed to be in the cold open, and also uh, Keenan playing Herschel Walker. So uh, how was Aristotle's impression in the cold open? I would say it was decent. Um, I've heard Dr. Oz talk a few times. Um, I'm not like an avid Dr. Oz <laughs> watcher or anything like that, but I think it, the impression was decent. It wasn't, I don't think it was a shame that it got cut necessarily. Um, Bill Hader um, probably did a better <laughs> Dr. Oz uh, impression back in the day. Um, but it just, it just, it kind of, and the Dr. Oz. Uh, impression and Keenan's Herschel Walker impression both seemed a little shoehorned in to the cold open. So it made sense that if they were going to trim anything from the cold open, it would have been Aristotle and Keenan. And the fact that Aristotle got cut, I think he could take some solace in the fact that Keenan got cut uh, from the cold open too. And I'm a huge Aristotle fan. Yeah. I'm a huge Aristotle fan. And, um, but him getting cut actually did, uh, make sense. And when we were leaving the show, I told my wife that that was a really long cold open. I bet they cut something. And, um, that turned out to be the case, but I think it was passable. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried him out as Dr. Oz again. And I wouldn't mind it. Cool. And then the other question I had personally was, uh, it was very weird to me that everyone who was in the cold open said live from New York, except for Kate McKinnon, obviously Kate's, you know, uh, whether she is doing it purposely or not is going for the record, uh, very close to Daryl Hammond. And I just thought it was very bizarre that Kate McKinnon was, did not say live from New York. She was first out as Fauci, then didn't stay for the LFNY and then wasn't in the monologue, wasn't in the trivia game show sketch, obviously was a recorded pre-tape for TikTok. Um, we really didn't see her all the way through update pretty much if I'm looking at this correctly. So I don't know why she didn't stay out for that. Do you have any background knowledge as to where she left, like why she left or anything like that? I, 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 uh, when everybody was rushing the stage to say live from New York from Saturday, uh, it's Saturday night. I, I kind of saw Kate leaving, um, but I didn't quite process it. I was kind of still in the, in a daze from just being there. Um, sure, sure. but I didn't, I didn't really see where she went and you're right. I, um, uh, I was wondering maybe if it was cause she had to take a lot of the makeup off for a sketch, but, but she clearly didn't. Um, and not that I, and I don't remember it being different in, in, dress either as far as if she had any sketches that 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 were at more of the top of the show and dress that she had to change for so uh yeah that that maybe maybe they don't i'm trying to remember uh do you know if um when people say live from new york if there's usually a preferred maximum number of people to where it just maybe gets cluttered <laughs> like maybe preferred by our community or or maybe production maybe it's a block yeah. it was a blocking thing or uh, yeah i don't know that's um that's a really good question and i i, yeah. I, I saw her kind of leave but i have no idea um she didn't mm-hmm. seem to be in a hurry um running anywhere yeah, I think that uh, just taking a look at the dress rundown that I have with me, I think that the only things, so she wasn't in Black Eyed Peas. Uh, was she in the kitchen staff sketch? Uh, the one that was the Longhorn? No, she wasn't. Okay. That was so like then, Heidi, JJ, um, yeah. Lizzo, 
and um, Andrew are the ones that I remember in that sketch. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so the only one that she would have been in pre-Lizzo's uh, first, uh, or pre-update, and uh, pre-her first song would have been Orchestra, which was in the dress rehearsal version uh, pre-update. So yeah, I really don't know. It's an interesting question. One day maybe we can ask her. Um, okay, uh, Thomas, Casey, you guys ready to get into some of the patron feedback uh, social media that we have from this week? Yeah, but first I want to make sure, wasn't Kate in the... Six flag sketch. Didn't she have to play one of the old men dancing? So I would think uh, you're right. You're right. To, yeah. They would have had to rush her off to get out of one old man make take off this old man makeup and put on that old man makeup. Yeah, she um, was. And what did that? I know that got bumped. That was um, higher in the show live. Um, where did that? Where did the six flag sketch end up falling live? So that was right before Please Don't Destroy. So yes, I, excuse me, I, I didn't misspeak before. Okay. So she really wasn't in anything up until the Six Flags sketch. Uh, I, I assume it was about like a 20, 25 minute uh, wait. Okay. So I, I do. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good point, Casey. And then the only other people, I mean, there was Aristotle and Kyle. Aristotle, obviously tough on the cold open. Kyle was another Six Flags person. But I guess there wasn't too much changing between Jared Leto and that. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting point. Something to think about. Um, let's get into the social media from this week. All right, let's start with this tweet from Chris Red, And thank you, actually, uh, Chris retweeted one of our tweets today about his uh, 300 sketch appearance. So congratulations to Chris on that. Uh, at Red said it on Twitter says, every so often, a good friend or family member texts me on a Saturday. Hey, what you doing? Come hang. Revealing they do not actually know what I do at all. Crying face emoji. Casey, this was pretty funny. Yeah, Chris, you you gotta get some new uh, some new non work note, non showbiz friends you could hang with when you're not doing SNL or stand up. I mean, I hope for his sake he's not texting those same friends on the weekends when he's not uh, doing stand up or Keenan Show or his other Peacock show. I hope he's not texting them during his off weeks. They're 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 saying they're busy those weeks, or they're saying they're busy through the whole summer. So. Maybe they just think all TV you can just watch later, but don't realize, yeah, but people have to tape that. It's SNL is not like other shows you can just stream. You have to tape it live first and then watch it later. And I can't watch it with you guys because it's live. So, For sure. Thomas, this is pretty funny. Yeah, there, I always find it fascinating the amount of people out there who still don't understand that Saturday Night Live is a live show. That, that seems to come up all the time, even with a lot of people who are complaining about their depiction of themselves on the show or uh, just just some random viewer. But that this happens so often. Uh, I love Chris. It seems like Chris Red has his finger on the pulse of kind of how people talk about the show. He's because he the last probably season or two, he's he's come out with tweets that that it kind of shows that he knows how people talk, discuss the show. and you know, the complaints that they make or the misconceptions that they have. So he's always uh, saying fun things like that. I love Chris, man. So, so he really, he really pointed something out that, that, that always bugs me too. Yeah. He's a great follow. Um, okay. So this was kind of fun. We got to see AD Bryant and at Faye Dunaway, Bowen Yang on Instagram post some behind the scenes photos. So if you haven't seen these, uh, it was great to see AD and Bowen and Celeste Yim all writing uh, their sketch together. I assume this was probably the Costco sketch, the one that got cut 
That's probably what they were working on in these pictures. Uh, but really cool to get to see them and also fun to see them working on sketches outside of the building. Like, you know, that that's, you know, spring has sprung when you're watching uh, or when you're seeing pictures of the SNL cast and writers working on stuff uh, outside during writing day. So uh, this was kind of cute, Casey. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of I kind of see it as sort of a passing of the torch moment. Um, Eddie Bryant's uh, more of a seasoned veteran than Bowen Yang is. He's a, a rising star. So I think they both bring the same things to the show. So I know a lot of fans are probably going to be sad when uh, AD and Cecily, maybe Kate leave the show, but they can just uh, latch on to, to Bowen because I think what they bought to the show, he, he brings the same, you know, can't be vibe to that show now, but more, more up, more updated for a new audience. Agreed. So the show's in good hands. Anyway, you look at it. Yeah, for sure. Thomas. Yeah. I always, I always love, um, when I see that you know, so the cast gets along and they, they have a really tight bond. And it, honestly, it seems that Bowen is like the glue guy backstage with the cast. We talk about glue guys like Phil Hartman and Dan Aykroyd, but it seems like Bowen brings a lot of the cast together. He's, seems, he's like friends with everybody, and he and AD especially seem like they have a really tight bond. I know they've worked on update together with the trend, uh, the trend forecasters. They've done two of those updates together, and it seems like they're just having a lot of fun uh, together. I know when they were doing the Glitter Revolution uh, in dress this past weekend, they were just giddy beforehand. I saw AD come out in her costume off camera and hug Bo, give Bowen a huge hug before the sketch started. So it's just nice to see how, how close they are. And Bowen seems to be just, you know, Mr. Congeniality, I think, behind the scenes. And he's just tight with everyone. I love seeing that. For sure. So... Up next, and I'll read this out, uh, this is from Chris Red's Instagram page, and he was talking about uh, the flute sketch. Uh, one, uh, this is, he says, one of the funniest sketches, one of the funniest live sketches I've ever written with Mike DiCenzo and Alex English. Shout out to Lizzo and special guest uh, Sasha B. Fluting and the best Keenan Thompson and Mikey Day. So uh, really fun that Chris wrote this sketch. And then also Chris also worked on the music video that was released online. It was cut for time, but uh, Bowen and Chris worked together on that music video about uh, watching YouTube while eating dinner. So I know a lot of you uh, may have been eating dinner when you watch our shows. So I think this was a very fun uh, music video to take a look at. So a big writing night for Chris Thomas. Yeah, no, Chris Chris is showing his chops this season in front of the camera and behind the scenes and and I just love seeing it. There there isn't a cast member. I've been watching SNL for 30 years and I can't think of a cast member that has changed my opinion of them as much as Chris has. Um I, it's not like I disliked him when he started, but I thought he was a little one note. Um but he's grown into honestly one of my two or three favorite cast members um in a huge cast right now and i just love seeing that that you know he he has writing chops along with acting man he's he's really um just just changed swayed my opinion on him and you know he's just so talented it's it's great to see yeah casey what do you think i think it just shows chris Wright is proving himself indispensable to show both uh behind the scenes and on the camera it's it's like, yeah, I see some people in the chat saying Red is 
Monette says Red is becoming a better writer. And uh, I mean, he's I mean, he's good at punching up scripts and pitching his ideas. Um, He's becoming like uh, he's becoming like Chris Farley in the way that behind the scenes, everyone said, oh, he was just so naturally funny. He had no problem getting on because everyone wanted to write for him because he could just really nail what they he just really hit it out of the park, whatever they give to him. And I think we're definitely seeing that with Chris, Chris Red. I think it's the only parallel between him and Farlow we see. Yeah, they're just both, um, both Name guys Chris. that the writers can, yeah, both guys that the writers could latch on to and just, uh, uh, yeah, just uh, whatever you give him, he'll hit it out of the park. Yeah. And yeah, if none sure. of you have watched Bust Down yet on Peacock, it's hilarious. It's an easy binge. It's only six episodes. And he and Sam Jay, um, a former writer on SNL, um, they're in it. She's in it, too. And it's it's so funny. And you'll see a, a, a great side of Chris there, too. Has, has Chris... Okay, l- l- let me ask you guys this. Has Chris Red become the second best Chris in terms of cast members that have been on the show? So we have Chris Farley, we have Chris Rock, we have Chris Red, we have Chris Elliott. Am I missing any Chris's? Chris Parnell. Oh, Parnell. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, wait, this yeah. is tough. All right, so I prefer Chris's. Red to Parnell. Honestly, I think he's moved second. I'm a Chris Farley guy, but I think Chris Red might be second that's a that's a good battle of the chris is oh, that's a good question uh chris guest we also have yes so chris so. chris guest yeah uh Casey that'd be like a summer battle. topic john yeah, yeah i mean about the chris's <laughs> i i gotta go with the cena's ranking i mean farley and red are my top two with parnell being my third and elliot being my fourth but that may just be you know his contributions to comedy in general because snl is just a you know, a, a molecule of what Elliot's done in his comedy career. And I don't know how much I, how I'd rate anyone else, but yeah. Yeah. And a special say, shout out to Christine Ebersol. Uh, you sure you took it right out of her life. life. <laughs> I'm sure there's people in her life who call her Chris Ebersol. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that was great. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, Melissa Villasenor, who posted um, this photo that we have on screen of her character that she did on a Weekend Update, Cesar Perez. And she posted a photo of her in character with a thumbs up saying, uh, Jesus woke up in his cave today and is not disappointed in me. Crying face. Happy Easter. And this was just some fun background. I mean, we found out about this character. Uh, she was really talking about how much she enjoyed playing it on Twitter. And then we got to see uh, Aristotle Atari respond to the clip that SNL posted about this saying, I loved every minute of it. And then Melissa V Comedy on Twitter says, Aristotle was the one that reminded me of my character, Cesar, uh, Cesar that I used to do so long ago at open mics and stuff. Thank you, pal, for believing in it. Smiley face. Um, at air underscore Stottle says, always believing it. Yellow heart. Casey, thoughts? Okay, I have some thoughts on this. So um, so we've made comparisons to uh, Chris Red and Phil Hartman, Will Ferrell, the, the glue of the show. and or, or no, let me start. So we've compared Bo and Yang to Phil Hartman and Bill Hader, Will Ferrell, the glue of the show. And we've compared... Uh, Chris Red, Chris Farley, just the guy everyone, the guys everyone wants to write for because they, they're just, you know, fun, funny on their own, whatever they do. Um, Aristotle Atari, I see a parallel between, well, he's one of those guys that uh, I would call the, the kings of the pitch meeting because I'm starting to see 
parallels between Aristotle Atari and J.B. Smoove and Tim Robinson. Now, they've been called the kings of the pitch meeting because, uh, I mean, those guys were just writers. Aristotle's more than just a writer, but backstage, they can keep morale up at writing nights at pitch meetings because they can just pitch um, just outrageously funny ideas that the show can never put on air. And I've seen interviews J.B. Smoove said his pitches were, what if Cameron Diaz was a pregnant dominatrix? Or what if Jack Black was a pirate with two eye patches or two peg legs? And uh, Tim Robinson, you see the type of stuff he's, I mean, you see what he's pitched. Uh, he has, he's see what he's done on, I think he should leave on Netflix. He would, he would pitch stuff. He said he would pitch stuff that have like Bill Hader literally rolling on the floor laughing. Like what he said, one of his pitches was, I want to play, uh, Donnie Parton, who's Dolly Parton's brother, just has huge balls, you know, and they could, I mean, it's sad that, yeah, that was an actual Tim Robinson pitch that never made it to air, but it's sad that, um, it's sad that uh, Tim Robinson got demoted from cast member to writer, but I'm sure they still loved having it backstage to, you know, keep morale up during the pitch meeting like J.B. Smoove and that could be why that could be Aristotle Atari's future. I hope they don't demote him to just a writer, but that that could be his future behind the scenes. He could um, interesting. He could just keep morale up by uh, pitching in on people's stuff and saying, "Hey, maybe you could do this." If, if not pitching his own ideas, but uh, yeah, just uh, punching up people's uh, pitches or reminding or reminding people of stuff that he saw them do and say, "Hey, maybe this could work on the show." For sure. Thomas, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And uh, to the Aristotle point, um, I hope he um, I hope he hangs in there. Honestly, I don't know. We've seen we saw signs maybe the last month that maybe his morale might have been a little low. And I just would hope that that he keeps providing value behind the scenes, giving encouragement to people like Melissa, pitching ideas, and then his time will come. I don't want his first year um to jade him so much that he just doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Cause first year is rough. Even when the cast has, has uh, in the single digits uh, amount of people, um, first year cast members sometimes have it rough, much less uh, 19 cast members plus Colin and Shay. Um, so I just want Aristotle uh, to hang in there, man. Uh, I don't want him to, to get too frustrated. And uh, just with this, with this uh, update piece that Melissa did, it was one of my favorite update pieces of the year. And uh, I'm going to get uh, kind of sentimental right now, but as, as somebody of Latino heritage, uh, seeing some representation on the show like this, seeing Melissa uh, herself um, uh, being Latinx and then seeing the, the character uh, uh, Cesar Perez uh, and that depiction um, just, you know, using, using kind of, uh, a slang like mijo and kind of things that like really just kind of touch me. Uh, I just love seeing that representation. And uh, I, I actually got goosebumps um, during dress and when we were watching it live again. And then I watched it a couple other times after that. So uh, thank you, Melissa, for the representation. And she did, she did such a bang up job uh, with that update piece. That's really I, nice. I yeah. agree. I mean, it, it's nice to, it's nice to get to see uh, this um, side of Melissa that wants to do more character work and uh, pull from her own heritage and background uh, outside. I think the last time she did something like that might have been 2018, where she did the 
routine interrogation subject on Law and Order. And I also do love how the, the whole thing seemed to just be the longest, most uh, long walk of a setup toward a random little burn on Colin Jost at the end. That was yes. Funny. Yes, yeah. exactly. You you have to. You have to burn Colin Jost right there. Yeah. And I love that Melissa, it wasn't an impression storm by Melissa. It was an original character and it had a point of view and escalation and punchlines. Like I think sometimes Melissa can fall into the being a good impressionist, but maybe not have a point of view with the impressions. But this one, ditch the impressions altogether. Original character. I couldn't have been more happy for her. 100%. Okay, this next one comes in. This is about the Please Don't Destroy sketch. And this time we found out that the Please Don't Destroy sketch was written with Dan Bula, but uh, he wasn't there to see it all the way through because uh, Ben Marshall posted on Instagram this story that uh, was a text conversation between Dan Bula and I assume him. Uh, Dan Bula texts Ben Marshall and says, Fellas, looks like my wife is having this baby today. Godspeed and good luck with Lizzo. <laughs> Glad I spent the last free day of my life writing a song called Horny Zookeeper, You Sons of Bitches. Oh, this is so funny. And then also, as an aside, we have uh, Ben posting the uh, in his, the full slideshow, uh, some background behind the scenes of them filming the music video and um, says, uh, swipe for Sarah taking an S-H-I-T in 8-H. So um, <laughs> obviously that's referring to the Six Flags sketch as well So that they contributed to. Uh, so some really fun behind the scenes stuff over here, Casey. Yeah, definitely. And congratulations to Dan Bula for... Uh, his journey into fatherhood and for writing such a, a great uh, pre-tape with uh, Please Don't Destroy. I mean, this and I think Three Sad Virgins and um, maybe the Future Cells one would be my top three of the Please Don't Destroy pre-tapes this season. I, I don't know what it is uh, about when the show has big, you know, female pop stars as double duty hosts. It makes or at least his musical guests uh, that makes uh, Please Don't Destroy just produce their straight-up bangers lately. And even the the one with Connor, the kid, was in the episode where um, where uh, Katy Perry was a musical guest. I don't know what it is about uh, those two things happening in sync with each other, but it's, it's, it's working. It works for me, at least. For sure. Thomas? Yeah, I think this was one of my three favorite uh, PDD sketches. I think Calling Angie was one that I think more people should be talking about. That was great. And then the Hard Seltzer one uh, was up there for me as well. But there are worse ways to spend your last free day of uh, of your life than uh, writing a, a, an amazing PDD sketch. And I, I just continue to, to love. I kind of get a little giddy when I see uh, this is a Please Don't Destroy short or whatever i get like filled with anticipation like i'm excited when that when that comes on the screen um these these guys have done a great job me too okay uh let's talk about the six flag sketch which we referenced a little bit and there's some great behind scenes the scenes photos that we saw here this is from celeste Yim. um they posted this photo behind the scenes um i believe uh this is sarah squirm quietly rehearsing that's what they posted and uh really just fun to see uh grace uh shaker one of the behind the scenes people on the show posted a wonderful gentleman in the crew came up to me tonight and asked if it was just a coincidence that i was dressed as the six flags man um so i assume they were having a lot of fun this is grace with the extras behind the scenes as well so uh this sketch was completely wild thomas how did it play in the house 
people people had such a great time with it uh, in the house. It played so well. And actually, this was one of the sketches where we had a good view uh, of the sketch. If if you can picture looking down on the stage, we're at the kind of the top right corner. They tend to fill the corners with standby people, and. This, this uh, is, uh, st- sorry, Thomas, I was going to say, this is stage uh, 3B for anybody who was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we had a really good view of the sketch. And actually, from my point of view, um, I was, I was anticipating what was going to happen because, because you know how at the end, um, a, a lot of the Six Flags guys came down from the stairs. I could see them waiting even before the sketch even started. I saw people dress like that waiting. So I was wondering, like, is, uh, when, when Sarah entered, um, not from the stairs. I knew that there were more people that were going to enter from the stairs, so I just kept waiting for what, when that payoff was going to uh, was going to happen. And the crowd just had such a good time with it. I, I was a little confused at first because I forgot about the Six Flags guy, but once they called it out, uh, I was definitely uh, on board. Yeah, for sure. And I, I have to say, probably my favorite sound clip of the week was this. You know, she'll never be satisfied by that dinky little twig in your hair. <laughs> so funny uh casey what were your thoughts on the six flags sketch and obviously some of the behind the scenes stuff we saw well i i mean nostalgia aside i did like it as a showcase for uh sarah sherman and she let uh other people just other underused people share the spotlight with her and uh, emphasis on sharing the spotlight when we saw kate and kyle showed up uh or they seated the spotlight to her and i'm I'm glad we're uh, starting to get to see a broader range of um, what uh, Sarah Sherman can do as far as characters and uh, just sketch concepts and physicality. And um, I mean, yeah, she's figured out the right formula. I mean, she's done a couple of, uh, you know, odd body horror things, with meatballs, Chucky, and, and then that's, Sarah score, but then she knows when to rein it in a little and just give the audience something a little bit more, a little bit more palatable and uh, crowd pleasing. It's still a Sarah Sherman esque like the Six Flags thing. So uh, I, sure. I I like the path, the niche path that Sarah Sherman's carved out for herself on the show. Yeah, and we've come a long way, Casey, because when you were on for the Sudeikis episode earlier in the season, we were very worried at the start of the season about Sarah and looks like looking good so far. Um, okay, this next one comes in from Bowen Yang, uh, which he posted on Instagram. If you haven't gone back and watched this, obviously Thomas saw this while he was at dress, but Bowen Yang posted about a minute and a half version of the throne room sketch from dress rehearsal, where he said, documentation of Cecily Strong at dress rehearsal trying to ruin my ass with the stupidest glances in the world. Thank you, Streeter Seidel and Brian Tucker for writing. And uh, if you do like breaking, this is obviously a little bit of debate, but if you do like breaking, uh, watch this dress rehearsal version of the throne room sketch because uh bowen cannot keep it together and it was it was very funny thomas had it to play in the house uh, oh no i think i think that the, the house uh really enjoyed it. it it just fit into the to the whole fun vibe of the show and i think breaking's great in uh, uh i think in, in context especially and and with a show like this um it's just fun to see 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 the interplay uh, between them and I could tell uh, I could see Cecily uh, uh, during the sketch Bowen and Cecily were, were the only two who I could actually see and then the other people um, had less of a view so I can see Cecily glancing at him and she was you know she was trying to like 
make and break. And um, they weren't going to, and, and think about it too, is they weren't going to be on camera the entire time. So I think there was more flexibility for, for maybe um, her trying to get him to break. And then he had a moment to gather himself while everybody else was, uh, was, was on camera. So, so I, I, I don't know, as far as breaking goes, I think this is great. And um, this is another one of those sketches that got uh, a, a really nice uh, crowd response uh, in house. For sure. Um, I'll just read this other one. Uh, Alex English says, uh, the DeVry Institute Symphony Orchestra uh, putting the ass back in classical, and it's a behind-the-scenes of the orchestra sketch, wrote this little ode to joy with the criminally talented Chris Red and Mike DiCenzo. All right, Casey, anything on these two? I mean, first of all, yeah, I did notice the one they put online, the one that aired was different with the sermon thing, and I, yeah, again, I have to say, this these sketches had to have set the all-time record for most uh, most cast members or most performers breaking simultaneously at once. I mean, I mean, Debbie even, Downer, I think, would have the record. Yeah, but Debbie Downer was in an era when the cast size was a bit more reasonable. I mean, this sure, sure. with a yeah. twenty-person cast, you're going to get more opportunity for just mass breaking, just record-setting breaking. So. That these two and Debbie Downer got to be the top three. That is fair. Um, okay, so this is from uh, comedian Whitney Cummings, and uh, she recorded a, a great little bit where she was talking over uh, the part of the TikTok sketch with Sarah Sherman and Lizzo, both laughing uncontrollably. Um, and then Whitney Cummings on Instagram says, I told y'all I shouldn't start a podcast with this personality in reference to just uh, Sarah going absolutely nuts and then eating her microphone. Uh, Sam, Sarah Squirm uh, puts the uh, tongue out emoji. Uh, Whitney Cummings says, Sarah Squirm, you are a wild genius so i thought that would be a, a cute uh, a fun one to wrap up our social media segment um thomas anything on the tiktok sketch you wanted to make sure we brought up as somebody who i've never honestly used tiktok so so um so i have a perspective coming from that i don't really know what tiktok looks like or anything and i and i've enjoyed both of these tiktok sketches uh that they've aired lately i think um even though i don't understand i don't really have much of a frame of reference i didn't even know um, the Sarah and Lizzo part was a reference to Whitney Cummings and I guess um, Miranda Cos Cosgrove um, from iCarly. So I didn't even know what that reference, but I just enjoy the performances. I think it moves quickly. Um, so, so there's good pacing and fun involved. I think it gets a chance for, gives a chance for the, all the cast members to, to shine. So even though as someone who doesn't use TikTok, um, I just uh, enjoy the performances uh, of these sketches. And I wouldn't mind um, if this became uh, kind of a thing. I know we frown upon um, doing the same old same on SNL, but I've enjoyed the first two installments of this. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, Casey, how are you feeling about them? Yeah, I mean, I like the TikTok sketches. I mean, they're good showcase, good many, many showcases for the cast. The, I mean, when you when you watch a show while taking notes for a blog, you have to watch sketches like this at least like four times in a row just to process everything that went on and what everyone did. And um, I, I, it reminded me of two things. This one, I, I've seen Melissa do a Whitney, Whitney Cummings impression on her uh, Instagram or social media. Maybe the show thought that was, that would have been too on the nose or just they thought, well, when are we going to need a Whitney Cummings impression? But we just, what we just saw was, Whitney Cummings reacting to a parody of her within an SNL sketch that 
featured uh, Ego Woden fake reacting to earlier portions of the same sketch. I mean, that is just that is just mind-blowingly meta. Like, is Whitney Cummings trying to tear a, uh, rip a hole in the fabric of the universe and make demons come out? What is happening? Don't add any more layers onto that. That's... Yeah, we're going to have to call up Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, you know what? Tony can get it. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Let's start taking some questions that we got in this week for our patron feedback show. And first up, let's take this question from one of our patrons. His name is Ike Moore. And Ike sent in, sent in a question. Um, in my opinion, Lizzo is now one of the best double duty hosts of all time. So high praise from Ike. The energy and the vibe was what I live for in SNL. I know John said he likes to wait a while before bringing an SNL host back, but who do you think would come back first, Billie Eilish or Lizzo? And he also wants to know who did a better job of double duty, Chance or Drake. But let's take that first part of the question. Who do you think comes back first, Billie Eilish or Lizzo? Thomas, what do you think? Uh, I would say Billie Eilish uh, would come back before Lizzo, and I subscribe to your um, your viewpoint on this, John. As far I like to see hosts come back at different stages of their life and their career, and I think you grow so much between the ages of I don't even know how old Billie Eilish is twenty, maybe right now. So I think you grow more in your early twenties than maybe from where Lizzo is at right now to where she'll be in a few years. So I can see the more growth happening with Billie Eilish and maybe more uh, her evolving a little more than Lizzo um, just because of her age. Um, so I can actually see Billie Eilish uh, come back um, uh, to host again. And that was probably one of my five favorite episodes of the season this year, the Billie Eilish episode. Um, I thought the, the she was strong, the writing was strong. So I actually um, wouldn't mind uh, seeing her come back in the next probably like two or three years, I would say. Casey, what do you think? I got a go with seeing again uh, i'd say billy eilish is probably going to come back and host again uh not just because um because uh, of the stage her life being her age she's in but she's in general timing wise she's just had the jump on uh lizzo from the get-go you see she was there before lizzo in season 45 and now and uh billy eilish is more in a in the you know, Lizzo may be kind of a niche performer, kind of, you know, have be her own thing. Billie Eilish is in more of a mold of like a, a Miley Cyrus, just a, uh, just a, like Cena said, just a young pop star who uh, wants to come on the show and just uh, show off a different phase of her career. She's more of the Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift mold. So I think Billie Eilish is due for a sooner comeback, whenever that is. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I do believe that I preferred Lizzo as a host to Billie Eilish at the time, but I think that the likelihood is more that they would bring back um, a Billie Eilish. Uh, just to answer this uh, quick question also from Ike, uh, who did a better job at Double Duty, Chance or Drake? I think uh, they both did it like, two times, if I remember correctly. Um, any preference, Thomas? Uh, I think Chance, from from my recollection, I, I, I recollection, I preferred Chance. Yeah, Casey? I'd say Chance, too, because people were pretty down on Drake's second episode, but people really liked uh, what Chance did, both his hosts. Even when he was just a musical guest, he would come in and pitch all these ideas he wanted to do. So Chance was an idea guy, and he bought that and the music to uh, SNL. So you know, he was more 
a hands-on, get involved kind of host. And I think that, uh, the cast liked uh, that approach a little bit better because the show he really got what the show was about. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, I, I will say that Drake had a, a wonderful first time hosting the show. Uh, so that episode is actually a very, very fun episode, uh, including, uh, you know, him rapping at a bar mitzvah, uh, the morning Miami with uh, Bitch Fantastic. And uh, I think Nassim Pedrad has a very funny sketch that I used to quote called uh, Indiana Rahat. So I think that there is some fun things from the original uh, Drake hosted episode. Uh, but yeah, I would go with Chance as well. Okay, um, Casey, do you want to read this next question that we have here from Jeremy Boulard? Sure. Uh, Jeremy Boulard writes in and asks, you were having a discussion on the roundtable about Lizzo breaking its sketches. Something, sometimes I like breaking because it makes it feel fun and sometimes it feels unprofessional. Where is the right line for breaking in sketches? Well, um, my take on that, I would say, is twofold. I'd say, uh, first, it only it helps if like only one person is breaking at a time, and maybe the, the maybe the rest of the cast can jump on board. Like um, when the second time Larry David hosted, and he played a guy who was uh, married to Cecily's character at a party, and she was like this this gay club drag camp icon just singing and he just he was laughing because he couldn't believe the ridiculous dialogue they were giving him and um and also there's times when breaking could obviously save a sketch like like the larry david sketch i just mentioned and uh you mentioned the first debbie down everyone remembers that as well the breaking but uh no one really remembers the uh all the subsequent times they did it uh, in seasons 30, uh, 30 and 31 because uh, there was no breaking. People thought, yeah, we've seen it once. Uh, we've seen it. So that's my take on uh, when breaking is professional or when it behooves the show. Thomas, what do you think? Yeah, I think Casey brings up good points. And I want to also add that I have more tolerance for breaking um, I think when the host is doing it, especially if it's a recurring thing like Lizzo, um, broke a few times tonight. Um, to me, it's 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 less professional when the cast keeps breaking. Um, I, I had tolerance for Jimmy Fallon breaking all the time up until a certain point, and then it kind of did get old uh, when Fallon would break a little bit. But when the host does it, it's a little more endearing than when um, the cast does it because the cast is supposed to be the professional players in the situation. Um, so, so that's my take on that. Yeah. And hosts like Lizzo and Billy Eilish, they're primarily musicians who are just dipping their toes in the, the right. pool, the acting pool, the live theater acting pool, the comedy pool. So they're doing things like that for the first time. Far be it for me to tell people what is funny or not. But what I would say is that me personally, I don't think breaking on SNL is particularly funny. I think trying not to break is funny. So I think that there's there's a big difference there. And I find that in many sketches where people are trying to hold it together, and if they do break, okay, that is kind of funny. But it's the act of trying to hold it together that I really enjoy that makes it feel real and makes it feel, feel live. I think there was times when people were like kind of gratuitous with it and were like, okay, well, we know we're going to break. I think that maybe, you know, again, sorry if people love this, but I, I and I have a big, I'm a big fan of uh, Stefan, but I think that, you know, there were moments where they pushed that a little bit to try and make him break. 
and uh, he, you know, Bill Hader was like, okay, I got to let it out. So I think there's just a really big difference that you have to watch for there. And I think, uh, I do agree with Thomas's point, as I mentioned on the round table as well. I think that we could be a little bit more lenient with hosts than we are with the cast. So, um, that's just my two cents on that. Um, Thomas, do you want to take this next question from Haley? Uh, yes. So, uh, Haley McLaughlin, uh, says, does Andrew Dismukes remind anyone else of Chris Kattan? Uh, particularly in the throne rooms, throne room sketch. Another um, Chris. <laughs> another Chris that that we forgot, and I'm not surprised I forgot about Chris Kattan because I've never, I was never a big fan of Chris Kattan uh, <laughs> on the show. Um, uh, I, and I, I'll, I'll take this one uh, first. Um, I don't really quite see the 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 Chris Kattan Dismukes comparison. Maybe in stature or like their body frames or something. Um, I think. Dismukes might be a little more versatile in his characters than Chris Kattan was. Um, I think Dismukes can kind of jump from um, more of, you know, strange characters back to normal characters. I think he's a little bit more range uh, than, than Chris Kattan ever did. Um, I actually get, and this isn't a one-to-one one -one comparison, um, but I actually get more Andy Samberg vibes from Andrew Dismukes than I do Chris Kattan. Um, because I do think that's a compliment to Andy Samberg. I think he was more versatile and that he could play a really young character, um, just kind of a young out of it character, but he could also kind of carry a sketch as, as, as uh, in a similar way, like maybe like a Keenan Thompson carries a sketch. I don't think Chris Kattan quite had that in him. So I, even though it's not one-to-one, -one, I would say Dismukes reminds me more of Andy Samberg. Interesting. Um, Casey, what do you think? Yeah, I see no resemblance toward Andrew Dismukes and Chris Kattan. I mean, uh, Dismukes' his voice is too low, too low-key energy, not physical enough, uh, not scantily clad enough in uh, his sketches. I, I I, mean, I do see a little bit more of Cena's comparison to Andy Samberg, just because they're both young guys with uh, sort of offbeat sense of humor. But again, like they're not it's far less one one comparisons but you know Dismukes has probably got a few years to show us his entire range and what he could do what he could bring to the show so uh, give him time for us to make a full one-on-one -on -one comparison between him and someone for sure I think um and I would say probably Andrew Dismukes the the best uh Andrew that's been on the show and Andy Samberg doesn't count because his real name is David so um but yeah I I think uh for me uh I I don't really see that comparison either Haley respectfully um I think that there are definitely elements and I think in the throne room sketch you know specifically with being uh spanked uh I think that maybe you have something there because um maybe Chris Kattan at times would be willing to uh to do things like this oh, boy. Oh. I mean, especially with like the mangoes of the world and stuff like that and the peepers and all that stuff, Mr. Peepers. So I think that, you know, there were elements. I, I, I think probably the closest comparison visually, I think, would be the Mr. Peepers where he's kind of like wearing a diaper and then eating an apple on the thing. And then in this case that Andrew was doing that. But I think as a cast member and as a performer, um, I don't know that I fully see it. Um, Okay, this is a question from that we just got in from Ian Karen. Ian wants to know, do we think there was too much flute? Did we have uh, too much flute this week? There we live, flute. <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> so, Thomas, what do you think? Well, I'll just say on Saturday night, I had a fever, and the only prescription was more flute. 
So okay. I do not think <laughs> that that there was that there was too much flute. There's probably not enough flute. I, I gotta go scene again. I'd say not enough flute, not just on SNL, but just in the modern day society in general. <laughs> I'd love to see more flute playing anywhere in my day to day life. For sure. All right, let's take this next question from Maya Rappaport. Maya wants to know, is there anyone that you wish you could talk about more on the podcast but never get to because they aren't doing too much or too little? Um, that was a very interesting question, Maya, because I, really I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, it's tough to really think about because I think that it's only natural for us to say, hey, this person on the show is doing really well or we're not seeing them enough. And it's harder for us to say, hey, this person is just like – kind of average and hitting all their marks but i think if i had to pick a cast member that maybe we don't talk about enough i think it's mikey day i would say probably like mikey's just doing his job every single week and i, I don't know that there's been too much like he's probably the one we talked about the least all season but i think he's having just like i said another very solid season um you know thomas i know you listen to a lot of our shows do you is there somebody that we don't talk about enough um i think maybe uh alex moffitt for for similar reasons uh, as Mikey Day, he's just he's just kind of Mister Reliable. Um, he shows up and and does his job. He had he has one of my favorite update characters, maybe of all time or probably in recent history, but it's Terry Fink, um, the the movie reviewer. Um, so I think Alex Moffat is is just so professional and so good in in most everything that he does. And for that. I can see why we don't talk about him because we just kind of accept that he's just gonna uh, he like he and Mikey are just gonna um, uh, do their jobs. Yeah, Casey, I know you listen to almost all of our shows. So, is there any cast members that we don't talk about enough? I mean, I, I'd say Cena. Uh, I really took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna say Alex just because. Um, well. There's a few people I'd like to mention. I was going to say Alex because um, there were, yeah, watching the cut Angelo sketch that he was in and the tombstone sketch from Jill and all, I legitimately forgot Alex Moffat was in the cast. He's done that little in a cast so big. I mean, kudos to him for getting Terry Fink on, but um, I, they got to be using him more. I know the cast is crowded, but uh, yeah, Mikey Day, we don't talk about a lot on here. So probably the one person we don't talk about either too much or just the right amount. I mean, we don't talk about him enough. Uh, but uh, what about the context we're talking about these people in? First of all, I mean, we could be talking about, uh, I've seen people, uh, you know, elsewhere on social media, on uh, Discord and my group chats, people talking about Mikey Day in the context of, um, what else could he be doing to make us not think uh, it might be time for him to to leave? Is he doing the same things over and over again? What else? And I got to say, I know Manette and a lot of people are going to agree with me on this. I I do wish we were talking about Aristotle in a, the different, and maybe JHA too. I mean, I wish we were talking about Aristotle in a different context, uh, in the context of what we've in the context of what we've seen him bring to the show, because he's as a, he's only did a couple characters, he's uh, got a lot of support, getting struggling with their time, and we're hearing about him. The most we're hearing about him is him getting things cut. And JHA, we I wish we were talking about him and more of like what you know, original characters. What does he bring to the show besides 
just uh, political impressions. But yeah, I wish we were talking about certain underused cast members more in terms of the things they did and less in the terms of what can they do? Why are they getting cut? So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I definitely like, uh, you know, obviously I take responsibility for, for, you know, the light at which we talk about some of those things, but I do think that, you know, obviously storylines are created and, um, you know, they be, become important fodder for us to discuss as a community. So, um, Casey, do you want to take, uh, this next question? This actually is from Monette. So I think it's a perfect transition point. Oh, I set myself up for a awesome segue by accident. So Manette, uh, she writes it and says new headlines and a weekend update statement that was cut from the past week seem to indicate there will be multiple cast departures. Do you believe this will happen? Well, um, in a nutshell, it's something I would like to see happen. and I'd hope to see happen so we can free up more room for newer underused cast members to do their thing, their thing on the show and take the show into a new direction. I mean, I want that to happen, but I can't really believe that's going to happen with uh, how long people stayed on. And Lauren pretty much outright saying, I want this exact cast until season 50 when I leave. So I want to believe, but uh, uh, you can only, you know, dream about that happening. For sure. Thomas, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think. Uh as far as cast members who who I think will leave, I think Kyle is the one that I'm convinced is this is his last year. Um, I think maybe one season of of doing the show without Beck um, may have been enough for Kyle. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of diminishing returns with a lot of his work. Um, so I'm convinced that this probably is Kyle's last season, not convinced on anybody else. Um, I was looking at the cast members today and I think, you know, if seven of them left, so if we went from 19, not including Che and Joe. So if we went from like 19 to like 12 or 13, I think that would be uh, a great start. Uh, not including Keenan because, because Keenan could be there for 40 years as far as I'm concerned. He's exempt from all old cast needs to leave uh, conversations um, as far as I'm concerned. But I think Kyle, um, my gut feeling is that this is his last year. And I want to see Monette actually appear on a Patreon show at, at some point. That would, <laughs> yeah, one she's day. such a great member of this SNL community. I would love to see Monette one day. We, we used to talk to Monette on Clubhouse earlier in the season when yeah. that was a very popular app. So um, Monette, we're waiting for you to come on. But yeah, um, I, I agree. I, I think that... Um, you know, there's obviously the the names that we've cycled through. I'll just say uh, we're going to be talking a lot about cast departures uh, down down the road. You know, through the month of May and into the summer. Um, I will just say and reiterate, my understanding is a lot of these cast departures will not be made until after the Emmy Awards in September. So just hold your horses while people make decisions throughout the summer. That's what's been happening. So we will see. We will speculate. But it, we may not find out until a few days before season 48 at this point. Okay. Um, let's take this next question from Blood Meridian. And Blood Meridian would like to know, with only three episodes left, who are your picks for veteran middle player and newbie MVPs and who do you think is having a better or worse season than the year before so uh, let's take this in part so let's start with the MVPs for veteran middle and newbie uh, players Thomas you have picks 
So for veteran MVP, um, I got to go with Keenan. Um, he, he, he's just such a rock for the show. Um, it helped that he, he did a what's up with that sketch, which is my all-time, maybe my all-time favorite sketch in SNL history. Um, so that helps. But he's just such a reliable, like even in the monkey judge sketch, which I thought was like almost a perfect sketch, Keenan was just so reliable. And he's just like, yeah, I think he's my veteran MVP. Um, middle MVP, I think Chris Red um, is this season's middle MVP. Uh, especially his Eric Adams is like a breakthrough, I think, for him. His Eric Adams is spot on and, and hilarious. So Chris Red gets my middle MVP. And then if we're counting newbies as as season, oh, their first or second season, um, I say Andrew Dismukes um, is kind of my newbie MVP. Uh, he had my favorite sketch in the Lizzo episode. Actually, that Beanie Baby sketch. Uh, had me had me dying i love that sketch if we're going just first years um i think um james austin johnson uh would be my first year mvp casey let's get your picks so uh first of all shout out to blood meridian i've uh i finally gotten around to reading most of his reviews and uh, leaving him some feedback uh, just keep up the good work i may not always see to you eye to eye but i you know, appreciate his passion his spark uh, I mean, he pretty much said I was an inspiration to him, so it's an honor to have the same effect on someone that uh, Stu had on me. Oddly, the, the time that the Black Eyed Peas recorded Boom Boom Pow, and I got a feeling, but uh, back to his actual question. Um, so, MVPs. Veteran would be um, maybe Keenan and Cecily might be a uh, distant second um middle tier players i would say uh a tie between chris and ego and speaking of chris um some of the things i've been reading in the news about mayor eric adams thinks maybe snl could be going a little bit harder or sharper on him i mean i know they like to buddy up to new york mayors the new york show but uh they could they could be going after Eric Adams harder for some of the stuff he's been doing, and um, I'd say uh, newbie MVP uh, would be a tie between uh, Sarah and Dismukes. Um, I mean, I I I know um, I picked Sarah because, like I said, um, we're getting to see a broad range of uh, what she can do. And uh, I hope that continues throughout uh, however long her tenure is. And I remember in the Sudeikis episode, we talked about being worried that not so much what would she get on or would she um, would she turn into the new Amy Poehler and that she would. Um, I mean, like people say Sarah, Sarah Sherman alienates the audience in a good Sarah squirm way. She alienates the casual viewers and normies, but. Amy Poehler alienated the audience that was with her uh, when she did the the Upright Citizens Brigade show on Comedy Central. Is this crazy underground show, and she kind of softened her edges and became more of this uh, cutesy, pandering crowd pleaser. And uh, by the time she was full blown in that mode, by the time she did Weekend Update, and some people uh, uh, didn't like that. So I I hope to see. Uh, yeah, a broader range of 
uh, Sarah Sherman, Sarah Squirm, like we've been seeing. And uh, hope she doesn't soften her edges too much. Uh, and I, um, Jay, Jay's been having a great season, but uh, people, um, people mostly know him as Biden and Trump, and they're very. He's get he's getting some chances to do other characters, but they've mostly been background supporting roles, and um, he hadn't gotten much of a chance yet to show that um, they're not just pigeonholing him into that Dana Carvey, Daryl Hammond box where they just lean yeah. on him for political impressions. So um, maybe next year, uh, JJ could be the new uh, rookie MVP if he gets to do more outside of just uh, Biden and Trump. Yeah, I think I'm going to hold back on giving like my full opinions about the MVPs, if that's all right with you, Blood Meridian, because I think that I'm going to be doing a lot of shows coming up and we're going to analyze this a lot after the season. But if I'm just going to say off the top, just initial impressions of the answers to the question, really for me, Keenan is just having an unbelievable season, no doubt, uh, leading the sketch count. Uh, Mid-player, I don't know how we can't give it to Chris at this point. Um, I think that Chris, it would really, for me, Chris and Heidi were like neck and neck for a while. And Chris, I think, just continued to elevate himself and I think that, uh, you know, Sarah's like, you know, if, if Sarah and James Austin Johnson were having a horse race right now, Sarah's like really getting close. But I still think James Austin Johnson has to edge out Sarah a little bit right now. We'll see what happens in the final three episodes of the season. Okay. Uh, Thomas, do you want to take this next question from Sammy J? Uh, yes. So Sammy J asks, if you could give one cast member their own late night show right now, who would it be? And thank you for asking this because I wanted to get on here today and and talk glowingly about Bo and Yang would be my choice to give a, a late night show to. Um, my wife and I, after the show at our hotel, were talking about just how much star power Bo and Yang has. I think out of anybody in the cast, maybe not including Pete, Pete's already super famous and everything, but for everybody else, I see Bo and Yang as a... a having the most potential to be a breakout star on like a mass level um, than anybody else on the cast. Um, he just has such a great personality. His rapport with, with, with seems like not only his castmates, but, but hosts and musical guests that come on the show. He, he became, he's going to get matching tattoos with Dua Lipa. Uh, he became best friends with Dua Lipa. He, uh, it seems like he just has a rapport. People gravitate toward Bo and Yang. And I think if he had a late night talk show format, he could bring a lot of, uh, of great conversation and stuff out from other people. He already has a podcast. The Lost Culturistas podcast uh, is really great. But I see Bowen as just sky's the limit for him, quite honestly. I think he could be a star. And he, to me, his personality out of everybody on the cast um, I would even include Pete in that um, is right for like a late night talk show format. Casey, do you have a pick for the next late night host coming out of this cast? I would say uh, Chris Red because he just has the right energy and just the right personality to do a, a talk show. I mean, that's what a talk show needs. But now that uh, Cena has mentioned Bowen as potential late night host, like I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I mean, he could do a talk show with, like, good remote segments. Like, I'm already picturing him getting matching tattoos with Dua Lipa, like Spade and uh, Sean Penn did in season 21 on Spade in America. And they recreated that bit on Spade's canceled um, Comedy Central show, Lights Out. So I could see uh, 
Chris doing a talk show and Bowen just doing like uh like Las Culturistas is like a panel show uh on, on Comedy Central Bravo someplace. So so yeah, Bowen could be the next Andy Cohen. I mean, yeah, Bowen and Chris uh, have specific niches and niche audiences they could fill. They'd both be successful, uh just the right audience. Yeah, and I think that uh, obviously, uh, like a natural fit, you know, we transitioned from really Jimmy to Seth to Colin. So I think a lot of people would assume that Colin Jost would be like built for the late night shows. But, um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, we're all hoping that we could see something a little bit different. And uh, Jimmy and Seth are doing a great job on NBC. So um, I think that, you know, I, I think the pick for Boeing is an absolutely great pick, Thomas. I love that answer. So I, I can't really argue with anything you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I hope I hope he gets his moment pretty soon because he has it all. For sure. All right. This next question comes in from the great Ken George Jones. Ken would like to know or would like to tell us when he first got into SNL, it was the early 90s and the show was chaotic, tonally and comedically incoherent with a large multi-tiered cast of people about to leave, reliable middle players, hot new stars and well-paid extras. I feel like that show is at that. Pl- I feel like the show is at that place again, just without some of the uglier elements. I have to admit, I have enjoyed the season as I enjoy an unstable SNL more than a streamlined version. But I know many fans do not. I know this ended badly for the show in the mid '90s, but do you think SNL will be this way until the 50th and Lauren's departure, or will something have to give after 47 wraps up? So, Ken, uh, summarize it. Ken feels like the show is chaotic and he enjoys it because of it. Do we think that that feeling will last? Casey, what do you think? I mean, I see the parallels between the early 90s up until season 20 cast that Ken George Jones is talking about. Um, but I would argue that with this bigger cast, the cast is like that, but the show is even more tonally incoherent. I mean, I mean, the 90s just had that, you know, uh, generic Gen X, you know, IDGAF attitude. It felt like they were phoning it in. Uh, but I, but I think backstage now the cast is a little bit more supportive of each other. So, I mean, I don't think a writer for New York Magazine is gonna uh, dig up too much dirt or be able to paint that ugly of a picture of um, of. SNL behind the scenes based on the way everyone's treating each other. And um, I think SNL being an institution, I mean, I can't, I can't see, uh, I think both NBC and Lauren are kind of complacent with the, the show is now as an institution. So I can't really see uh, the president of NBC stepping in and demanding Lauren fire everybody, hire a whole new cast, hire all new writers um, I think they think most casual fans just want to see what they're comfortable with and familiar with. It's like SNL security blanket. It's comfort food. So um, I think the biggest change it needs is just having the, the cast cut in half. Some of the longer people aside from Keenan need to leave. But I, I don't even think uh, we're going to get that just given how just happy everyone seems to be. Uh, just post COVID where they're at. So uh, whatever that was, that was my answer to Ken's question. Fair enough. Thomas, what do you think? Yeah, that was a really good question, Ken. And um, I don't really see the show getting 
to the depths um, that, that that you referenced. Um, I assume 94, 95 was, was kind of what you're thinking, season, the infamous season 20. Um, I think personalities probably pay, played a large factor in that. You had um, like the bad boys, Sandler, Farley, Spade, those guys, like their personalities were so dominant and not in a great way. I think that's what helped sink that era um, of SNL um, and it needed to be sunk and we got you know um, great things that came out of after that um, I don't quite I think the personalities on this cast are more stable um, than that so I think um, it's not going to reach those those depths um, beating a dead horse a little bit we do need to see a bit of a purge uh, or at least new people becoming anchors of the show. So I'm thinking like Ego, Bowen, Dismukes, Heidi, um, those people being more so the anchors. Even if Cecily and AD and Kate and the old guard stay on, rely more on those uh, on those new anchors and get kind of fresh voices uh, uh, into the show. Yeah, I think for me... The purge that we're referencing really happened this year in the writer's room, right? Like you had 13 new writers and I know most of them left on their own accord. I think that's the big difference between something like the 94, 95 season and what's happening now is that uh, Lauren and the producers, they're not really interested in purging, you know, on a large scale. Um, But that doesn't mean that cast members won't leave and then they end up, you know, putting together this, you know, new era. But I think that part of the reason that the show's uh, feel slightly inconsistent week to week or the tone changes or maybe there is some element of chaoticness can is just that uh, the the show's cast represents so many different eras of the show they all came in like they came in in pairs or in threes or whatever there's keenan and then obviously kate katie and cecily um alex and mikey you know kyle and beck recently it was like everybody came in and there's just different years of the show and i felt that that creates a little bit of chaoticness and when you bring in a lot of people at the same time like this group of writers and you know i'll I'll add the new writers jj sarah and potentially aristotle we'll see what happens you know we're talking about 16 new people to the show that add this like fresh blood and i think it's contributing to what we're seeing as a better season in 47 than potentially what we saw in 46 so um i'm optimistic that things won't be as chaotic in the future even if you do like it that way and season 20 yeah that was another year when a lot of people came in for different backgrounds like you say but well a lot of people came in for different eras of the show but season okay so now you're saying there's a lot of casts from different eras of the show that's season 47 season 20 a lot of cast members came in from different shows that were uh different different styles of comedy than what uh snl is doing yet uh, Chris Elliott from David Letterman, you know, Life, Jeannie Garofalo from Ben Stiller's show, and Larry Sanders, Truth About Cats and Dogs, Mark McKinney from The Kids in the Hall, Michael McKeon from Laverne and Shirley and Spinal Tap. His his uh, most, his favorite collaborators, his castmates were on 10 years before. Why wasn't he on back then as more than just a host who was on that year to hang out with his buddies for a week? So. Sure. Um, yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're better at just blending in, uh, just they're, they're better at having a more cohesive voice now in terms of what style of comedy everyone wants to do and how to, uh, work together. 
to you know, find sure. a singular voice in the show. Okay. Let's take these last couple questions on our show tonight. And this one comes in from Robbie. Uh, we'll turn our attention towards the Benedict Cumberbatch episode. And we have cameo predictions. So do you think Elizabeth Olsen will cameo for the Benedict Cumberbatch episode? Thomas, what do you think? Uh, we, yeah, we don't know the um, everybody's schedules and if she could even make it. But um, I'd say there's a decent shot. And if she does, I want to see it happen like during the monologue. I don't, I don't really want them to try to shoehorn a cameo into some sketch or feel the need to, uh, um, to make like a Dr. Strange sketch just to, just to have that. So if she does a cameo, which I think, you know, she's not doing anything, it's a good chance. I think, um, uh, a monologue cameo, um, would be my preference. Okay. Casey. Uh, I mean, it could happen. I mean, I would say maybe Elizabeth Olsen herself uh, should host or could host the season finale, but that way we'd have two hosts within a month promoting the same thing, so maybe she could cameo, and Benedict Cumberbatch does deserve a second chance to host during a week when there's not this um, dark, looming cloud over America's collective head. So, uh, yeah, that's something I'd, uh, I'd like to see. For sure. I think um, if SNL could get Elizabeth Olsen to host, they definitely would have. Obviously, we had the Olsen sisters, uh, not Elizabeth, but Mary-Kate and Ashley host together in 2004. So it would be very cute um, to have that and at least reference that. But um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think if they can get her to show up, they definitely would. It would be a big name. Uh, As for other cameo predictions, I know that, uh, I mean... It, it would be very interesting and exciting to see people show up in May. I mean, May to me is, like I said, just for the Christmas, like when, when it's coming up to Christmas, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Like now we're at the point where we get to May and it's like, these are our last three shows to bring it. And I'm always excited to see like what stops they're going to pull out. And it's like, okay, if we're, if we don't see anything in the Cumberbatch episode, that's too crazy. then maybe the, the next two, they'll pull out all the stops for. So, uh, this is what, this is what you dream for as an SNL fan, you know, get to get to the end of the season and just get excited about what's to come. Okay. Let's take these last questions. These are a couple of fun questions that we have to wrap up our show today. And uh, this is a question from our patron, Greg Croak. Uh, Greg wants to know from you, Thomas, was the standby line game as tough as it looks? Was it hard to do the live? Um, I think the only hard part was the, the, the unknown. Um, you're doing all this, you're camping out. And you don't know if you're going to get tickets. So, so briefly, um, sent my email on Thursday, right on the dot, 10 a.m. Sent it, and I got numbers 270 and 271. So I was bummed. My wife and I were in Central Park, and I was sitting on the bench in Central Park, like sad Keanu, just like bummed that we're not going to get into the show because we got these awful numbers. Um, my wife is very positive. And so she's like, Oh, I think we're still going to get in. And then I was um, corresponding with Nicole Rovine and she actually injected a lot of positivity and said, you know, that's actually not a bad number. Turned out a lot of people send emails and don't show up to the standby line. So we ended up 94, 95 in the actual standby line. And I was like, uh, yeah, I was like jumping for joy. 94, 95. That's in the zone where we have a chance. And so we, the next morning, they asked us if we want to dress or live. We picked dress. So actually, at the actual NBC store, we were numbers 50 and 51. So at that point, we're like, okay, well, that's like really good odds uh, right there. And I was a ball of nerves at the NBC store. I was pacing around. I was looking at merch from every NBC show that's there in the store. I was just like in cold sweats. 
Um, I, I wasn't really comfortable until um, I got off the elevator and walked in and saw the Studio 8H sign. And then I actually like sat in my seat. And even then I thought I was about to wake up. I really like for a minute there, Michael Che was talking on the stage and I thought I was dreaming. Um, so it's getting actual tickets. If you If you try to do standby and you get a bad number a reservation number initially don't let that um deter you or get you down like it did me uh, because you're going to get a better number ultimately than uh, than that initial reservation and it's just it's it is going to be nerve-wracking until they actually let you um into the show and you're sitting in your seat i think the wristband if you have a wristband on i'm pretty sure that's a sign that you're that you're going to be in the show um, cool. but, but you will be Greg, if you try to do standby at some point, you will be pacing around and, and you'll have a lot of nervous energy, um, when you show up on Saturday night. Thanks Thomas. Good to know. And great advice. Um, and Casey, last question for you, uh, from also from Greg, in your opinion, what's the best all time Smigel tune? The, the best TV funhouse. I, I have to give this some thought and I, I would definitely have to go with, um, an early late nineties Will Ferrell era one because again that's that's peak Michael and I have to say Greg probably the one I talked about in your podcast um, it would be a, a tie um, it would be a two way tie between two from season twenty three I see Blood Meridian says Maraca it's probably what uh, you guys that. would say but but you know that's you know only funny people have seen Dora the Explorer and I was looking for something a little bit more timeless so. I went with two season 23 ones, uh, the Jesus Today one from the Helen Hunt Hanson episode that I talked about on Greg's podcast uh, in December, Saturday Night Vibes, where Jesus goes around just uh, crashing various television. Not Jared Leto. Yeah, not Jared Leto. Jesus Christ just goes around zapping various televangelists, Pat Roberts and Kathy Lee Gifford. Then he comes across the TV uh, playing the linus lights please speech from a peanuts christmas and he gets a tear in his eye and that's the peanuts dance and i was also going to say my second one again would be conspiracy theory rock because um it's that was cut from the reruns but it is amazing that they got that on the air even once so google conspiracy theory rock if you haven't uh, seen awesome well, that does it for this week's patron and feedback show. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who sends in questions. If you would like to get your questions in for any of the patron feedback shows we do, we obviously have three more coming up. Uh, you can send those in to our social media. We will have a form up on Twitter and in our Instagram story as well. Make sure to send in your questions in time to get them into the show for our patrons to answer them on the show. And, you know, if you haven't checked out our hot take show or roundtable from this week, we had some really fun shows for the Carmichael, Gyllenhaal, and Lizzo episodes we filled your feed with content as we analyzed this run of shows so i really appreciate that and uh the reason that tonight's show was on a different uh date and time is because uh, i'm actually going on vacation for the first time in a very long time so i'm looking forward to getting away uh for a little bit for a week uh i'm leaving the podcast in very good hands we have lots of people here our community who's working together on the podcast and stuff and there will be one show while i am gone and that will be on monday night it will be the super fan takeover they will be discussing the best of the 2010s so if you are a fan of snl from halfway through season 35 to halfway through season 45 i believe um yeah they're going to talk about the best moments episodes hosts 
uh, music, everything that would be in the best of 2010s DVDs if they still made DVDs. So that will be on Monday with Bill Haskell Haynes and host Sammy K. So make sure to check out that show. To actually never miss any of the shows that we put out, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at the SNL Network. You can also subscribe to our podcast feed on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And of course, if you think you can do what Thomas and Casey did tonight, and that's join us on a patron feedback show, you can definitely do that by signing up at patreon.com slash the SNL Network. We would love to hear from you, whether it's this season, over the summer, or into season 48. Always great to connect with more of you. Okay. Thomas, where can the listeners reach out to you to catch everything you are up to? I mostly discuss SNL on Twitter, and so my handle is at Thomas A. Senna. It's right there if you're watching um, there on YouTube. I Friend me, follow me. I love discussing anything. Casey and I follow each other on Twitter, and we've never talked to each other or seen each other until today. So it's a wonderful community, and please just don't, um, don't be bashful and just follow me. For sure. Casey, where can the listeners check out everything that you are doing? Uh, well, you can follow me and DM me on Twitter at Killingsworth27 or Instagram at KCK27. Or you might even just see me in your dreams one of these days. Well, I might as well come clean about something since Ian Abramson from uh, uh, Saturday Night Quarantine admitted to this. He decided to be open about this on his Twitch stream with our own Andrew Dick. He pretty much spilled the beans that I've been showing up in his dreams every night to just tap him on the shoulder and ask him where the bathroom is. <laughs> yeah, I've been what, what's I, going on? Huh. I did it to you, John, to get on this uh, podcast oh. the third time, and Greg and Emily to get on their podcast. Remember, I've, I've tried it with Andrew. Dick, I do. And he's just but he's been a tough uh, <laughs> right. crack. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not going to do that to um, Nicole or Rebecca as as badly as I want to get on Hollywood Dish. I. I think I'll just do what Rich Tackenberg did. He um, he sold himself as like a Kardashian expert to get on um, to get on Hollywood Dish. Maybe I'll try and sell myself as a Taylor Swift semi expert. That, that might work. That, 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 <laughs> that, that, that explains the rant at the beginning of the podcast, Casey. Yeah, and the rant. I just I'm an expert at end beginning and ending podcasts with rants too yes for sure well make sure to follow casey and check out his blog and stuff like that so um really appreciate you casey really great to talk to you appreciate you thomas as well and of course everybody in the chat so my name is john schneider you can find me at john schneider 24 if you want to reach out directly we will see you next time everybody have a good one